taxi. Where to? The recording studio, please. Uh, this is New York City. There are lots of studios here. Excuse me, Mr. Taxi Driver, but you don't recognize our esteemed passenger? <gasps> Who said that? Down here, under the seat. But you're a little wooden doll. A very old wooden doll. Where to, ma'am? I don't have all day. Dear sir, I'm astonished you still don't know who's in the back of your cab. Please kindly take us to the studio where they taped Forever Ago, the award-winning history podcast for kids and families. Wait, does that mean you're Joy Dolo? <laughs> wow, oh, I never thought I'd get to meet you. It's my honor. Thanks. And thanks, you strange little wooden doll. My pleasure, Ms. Dolo. And if I may be so bold as to introduce myself, my name is Nicholas Knickerbocker, and I've been under the back seat of this cab for a long time. Thanks for fishing me out. But how did you know who I was? Surely you're joking. Your podcast is the only thing this cabbie listens to. I recognized your voice right away. Oh, wow. Have you ever thought about doing an episode about the library? Because do I have a story for you? Okay, I'm listening. You're listening to Forever Ago from APM Studios, where we explore the before. I'm Joy's co-host, Lilica. But Joy hasn't showed up yet. <sighs> I'm here, I'm here, sorry I'm late. No worries. Traffic today is bonkers. It wasn't traffic. I was deep in conversation with my new friend here. What new friend? I only see a small wooden doll. A very old wooden doll. This doll is my friend. Say hello to Nicholas Knickerbocker. Um, hello, Nicholas. Say hello to Lilica Nicholas. Oh, I guess he's feeling shy. Sure. Anyway, Nicholas gave me a great idea for today's episode. I bet you can read me like a book, though, and guess what it is? Um... I mean, just check out the stack of picture books. I'm not sure. I'm not holding my card too close to my vest. My library card, that is. Oh, the library! Yes, we got there! I love the library. What's your favorite part of visiting the library, Lilica? Um, ooh, that's a hard question. Actually, I think my favorite part is probably not looking for new books to read, but looking for books I've already read. It feels like looking for old friends in the shelves. Oh, wow, I love that! Is there a certain genre you like, like romance or sci-fi? Uh, I'm more into fantasy, mythology-based kind mm. of things. I'm a big fan of uh, Percy Jackson. Right now, I'm reading Hunger Games. You know, um, when I was growing up, I we lived at the library, like me and my sisters. Our parents would, like, drop us off there, and we loved going there. We'd stay there for hours, like, hours. <sighs> and just, like, I just have really vivid memories of just hanging out there a lot. And, like, those are some of my best memories. Libraries are so awesome. And you know who loves libraries? Everyone. 
but especially parents. There was a survey of parents across the U.S., and almost all of them said libraries were important for their kids. Well, obviously. It seems obvious to us now, but for a long time, libraries weren't for kids. In fact, they weren't even for the public. Bananas! Right? Tell them what you told me, Nicholas. Nicholas, why are you so quiet all of a sudden? You couldn't stop talking on the way here. Yeah, I bet. Anyway, the first libraries in the U.S. were set up more like clubs. We're talking almost 300 years ago, when books were much harder to get. You had to pay a fee just to use them. Oh, yeah. For a long time, books were expensive and rare. They needed to be printed and bound by hand. Right. These early libraries didn't even let people check out books or take them home unless they paid a fee. They also didn't allow women or people of color, and kids were definitely not welcome. None of those people could visit the library? Nope. But by the late 1800s, things were changing. The U.S. was 100 years old, and the country was growing fast. The late 1800s. Fancy men wore top hats out and about. Most people traveled using horses and carriages, and you could take trains for longer trips. Newspapers were the main way people got information. No radio, movies, TVs, records, or telephones. But there were books. And in a new country with lots of new people, leaders started to see how access to education and books was important in order to have a country full of smart, informed people. So a new idea started catching on libraries where you could borrow books and take them home for free. What a charming idea. Ah, your doll talked. I told you he was a chatterbox. Sorry about that. I'm a very old doll, so I must have nodded off for a second. But your eyes were open. Lilica, I'm a wooden doll. I was painted that way. Right. Ooh, a microphone. Step aside, Lilica. Is this thing on? Hello, I'm Nicholas Knickerbocker, a little wooden doll. I've been dreaming of broadcasting my voice on the airwaves for the past 80 years, stuck under that taxi seat. The cab was 80 years old? Yeah, super vintage. I told you, that driver's a real history buff. Now, if you'll excuse me, it's time to practice my comedy routine. Knock, knock. Who's Who's there? there? Dewey Decimal. Dewey Decimal who? Do we decimal or don't we decimal? That is the question. Wait, there's no laugh track? No matter, add it in post. Anyway, as I was saying, this was a boom time for libraries being built in the U.S., but most of them did not have spaces for kids. What? The kids part of the library is the best part of the library. For once, I agree with you. Thank you. Wait, what? We literally just met. Humph. A few librarians were pushing against that idea. Pawtucket, Rhode Island had a reading room for kids. Brookline, Massachusetts had a spot for them in the basement. And Cleveland made room for them in a hallway. Some might say cozy. I say no. Z, (laughs) give the youngsters a proper library. By the beginning of the 1900s, librarians were starting to agree that it made sense to serve kids, but only over the age of 12. Not fair. Well, the littlest littles do tend to have awfully sticky hands. Ask me how I know. No, thank you. But soon, 
that would all change. Oh, Joy, please do let me do the cliffhanger. Please, I've never gotten to do a single one, and you've gotten to do so very many. Please, Joy, please, 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 please. Okay, okay, okay. This was your idea after all. Thank you. <laughs> But soon, that would all change, right here in New York City. <clears throat> Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. The only living doll in New York. Welcome to New York. It's been waiting for you. Welcome to New York. Welcome. Thank you so much for that unnecessary interlude, Nicholas. But now it's time for... First Things First! That's the game where we try to guess the order things came in history. Today we have three famous children's books. The Cat in the Hat, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, and The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Okay, Lilica, which do you think came first, which came second, and which came most recently in history? Those those are good ones. Well, Cat in the Hat is Dr. Seuss, and I know <laughs> Dr. Seuss like did posters during World War II. So I would guess that, you know, he would have been writing a little bit after that, like similar times. I don't know a ton about Seuss, but I just know a couple random facts. So mm, I okay. guess I'd probably put Cat in the Hat as earliest. Okay. Um and then the author of If You Give a Mouse a Cookie wrote, like, If You Give a Cat a Cupcake, If You Throw a Pig a Party. And we have a copy of If You Throw a Pig a, a Party signed by the author that my big sister got to me when she was super little. Oh, wow. So, That's so I'm going to cool. put that as most recently because I know that, like, the author was at least, I don't know if she's still alive, but she was alive at some point recently in time. So I'm going to put that as newest, and I will by default put the Very Hungry Caterpillar <laughs> in the middle. Oh, those are great guesses and very educated guesses, too. So number one, we have the cat in the hat. And then number two, we have the Very Hungry Caterpillar. And then the most recent, we think, is If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Feel good about that? Yeah. We'll hear the answers at the end of the episode right after the credits. We'll be right back. You're listening to Forever Ago. I'm Joy. And I'm Lilica. And I'm Nicholas Knickerbocker, a very special little wooden doll. We love talking about the surprising history behind some of our favorite inventions on this show. We also love hearing about inventions you couldn't imagine living without. Here's today's... Invention Mention. <laughs> My name's Malik. My invention mention is books, because I like reading, and books make you smarter. I have fiction books, comics, educational books. My favorite books are the four D&D books I have. Thanks to Malik for sending in that very timely invention mention. We want to hear from you, too. Send us a recording of yourself sharing your favorite invention and what's great about it at forevergo.org slash contact. Now back to the episode. Today, we're talking about children's libraries. Before the break, we talked about how new public libraries were being built all over the U.S. in the late 1800s. 
people could borrow books, which was a strange new idea back then, but they weren't really places for kids. And here's where we get to talk about my dear, 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 dear friend, Anne Carol Moore. In fact, I wrote a little book about her. Would you care to read it? You wrote a book? What else are you going to do while wedged under the back seat of a cab for 80 years, am I right? <laughs> All right, here we go. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Anne Carol Moore. She grew up in Maine with seven older brothers. She loved to be outside, and she loved books. In fact, she loved books so much that when she grew up, she went to college to become a librarian. Instead of settling down and getting married, which was the expected path for women back then, Anne was a real trailblazer. After she graduated, she was put in charge of making a children's library reading room at her university. It was an experiment. So, Anne did a lot of thinking about what the room should be like. She talked to children, visited kindergartens, which were also pretty new at the time, and toured the many different neighborhoods of New York City. When it was time to make her children's reading room, she did things differently than they had been done before. She had story times, puppets, beautiful books for children, librarians who actually liked children, and little child-sized chairs and nooks. Then in came the three bears and they said, someone's been sitting in my tiny child-sized chair. And Cinderella said, have you seen my shoe? And Peter Rabbit said, well, my shoes are on that scarecrow over there. And they all lived happily ever after the end. Well, that took a turn. I like to think that endings are my strong suit. But that wasn't the end of children's libraries. Anne Carol Moore was hired by the New York Public Library to bring her kind of children's library to the whole city. Seems like a big deal. Absolutely it was. The New York Public Library had branches all over the city. And not only were her ideas spreading across all of New York City, they were also spreading across the country and the world. Anne was a big deal. She wrote articles, went to meetings of librarians, sharing the way she thought children's libraries should be run. She had lots and lots of ideas. One of these ideas was something called the Four Respects. I keep a copy in my pocket. Here, Lilica, would you like to do the honor? It's so tiny. Lucky for you, I also keep a magnifying glass in my pocket. Also very tiny. Hmm. Fair point. I'll read them then. Ooh, how about we do a little interactive call and response? When I point to you, you say respect. Sound good? I love saying things on cue. Me too. Perfect. Here we go. <clears throat> My dear friend Ms. Ann Carol Moore believed four things were key for children's libraries. She called them the four respects. They were respect for children. Respect. For children's books. Respect. For fellow workers. Respect. For the professional standing of children's librarians. Oh, that was fun. But those seem like kind of obvious. They weren't at the time. These were radical ideas. She also hired librarians who looked like the people they served. Black librarians, Puerto Rican librarians, librarians that could speak the languages of the many immigrant children living in the city. 
And Carol Moore also made sure there were lots of children's books in those languages, too. And speaking of radical, another mind-blowing idea she had was that children should be allowed to check out books. That's one of the best parts of going to the library. A lot of the children visiting the library were poor, and a lot of snobs thought if children were allowed to take the books home, they would get dirty or lost or damaged. And think about this. Letting kids check out library books is a huge sign of respect. Kids don't get to vote. They don't get to drive. But they do get the pleasure of having a library card and the responsibility that comes with it. Indubitably. In the libraries Anne Carol Moore ran, there was a big black ledger. And if you could sign your name in this notebook, you could borrow a book. And when you signed it, you had to take a pledge. I can hear all the little voices now. When I write my name in this book, I promise to take good care of the books I use in the library and at home, and to obey the rules of the library. How did you do that? I'm a talking doll, Joy. You think I can only do one voice? Please, I've been at library story times for almost as long as they've existed. How do you know so much about all this anyway? Finally, you asked. I've been waiting. Anne Carol Moore was my best friend. I started working with her about ten years after she joined the New York Public Library. She would ask me to help with story times, talk to shy children, that kind of delightful stuff. Anne took me with her everywhere. She told the children tales of my adventures at the library after hours and eventually wrote a couple books about me. Nicholas Knickerbocker, her famous little wooden doll. So you actually knew Anne Carol Moore in real life? Yes, I was her little doll friend and I spent every day with her. Her eyes sparkled like pennies in a fountain. Her hair smelled of rose water and wood pulp. Her cuticles were neat as the stitching on a... Okay, yes, we get it. But yes, it's true. Anne Carol Moore really did have a little wooden doll named Nicholas Knickerbocker. She used him to entertain kids, and she took him pretty much everywhere she went. We were the best of friends. Ms. Moore brought me to meetings with important people and would use me to talk to them. Famous authors and book publishers would sometimes even send me letters and gifts. There was even a place for me at the table at her dinner parties. A grown-up took you, a little wooden doll, everywhere and made people talk to you? Made them talk to me? I beg your pardon, they wanted to. Are you familiar with Ms. Beatrix Potter? Of course. She wrote the Peter Rabbit books. Well, my dear Anne Carol Moore was great friends with Ms. Potter, but so was I. Ms. Potter sent Anne Carol Moore a special Christmas card she had drawn just for me. She drew Peter Rabbit asleep in bed with me, Nicholas Knickerbocker, watching over him while he slept. Inside the card, Ms. Potter wrote, Dear Miss Carol Moore, I do not know the home address of Nicholas. Peter and Flopsy want to wish him a very Merry Christmas. That's quite incredible. So how did Anne Carol Moore know all of these famous authors and book publishers? Oh, I can help with this question. Thanks to her work with children's libraries, Anne Carol Moore was huge in children's publishing. It was libraries and Anne Carol Moore that got people interested in making and buying beautiful, interesting books for children. I have a friend who helped me look into this. She was the most influential critic, 
That's Betsy Bird. She's a librarian and expert in children's books. And back in the early days of libraries, there weren't a ton of books made for kids. And Carol Moore wanted more of them, and she wanted them to be better. So just like her library ideas spread across the world, so did her ideas about books for kids. Exactly. She was the expert. Everyone agreed. She had her own, like, newsletter. People would come to visit her at the library and show her their books. And if she liked you, she would mention it in her newsletters. And these librarians all around the country would buy them. And she would buy them herself because she, you know, New York Public Library had a huge budget. So she'd put them in every branch. There was no internet or other ways to get attention for your books. So publishers and authors would try to impress Anne. Did I mention the gifts they sent me? One author sent a little glass swan, another a tiny little sewing kit, all for me, Nicholas Knickerbocker, and Carol Moore's little wooden doll. The gifts and visits helped authors get in good with Anne Carol Moore? Maybe? Probably? I mean, who doesn't love a tiny sewing kit? Either way, Betsy says authors were hoping Anne would notice their books because at the time, almost everyone thought she was the best judge for what books kids would like. She had a very distinct feeling of what made a good book. For example, like you, Lilica, she loved fantasy. She wanted to transport kids to other worlds with reading. She loved fairy tales and Peter Rabbit, stories that had lessons and had beautiful language. She read so many books and had so many opinions. If she liked your book, she would recommend it. But if she didn't, who oh boy, she would let everyone know. When she read a book she didn't like, she would exclaim, Truck! And she had a stamp for those books, too. It said, not recommended for purchase by expert. Truck? It's old slang from the phrase, I have no truck with. Like, you don't want anything to do with it. So, like, those stiletto heels that gave me blisters and made me walk funny for days after? Truck. Oh. Or like the soda that not only tasted bad, but didn't even have enough fizz to make a really good burp? Truck. (laughs) (laughs) But one kind of book that was instant truck for Anne, any book that was part of a series. What? Series are some of the most popular books for kids now. Babysitter's Club, Wimpy Kid, Percy Jackson. I'm obsessed with the Percy Jackson books. (laughs) It wouldn't have been allowed. There were some series back then that were not that well written, so Ms. Moore just said phooey to the whole lot. And there were lots of other books that were on her big no list. She hated Charlotte's Web because she felt that E.B. White was mixing fantasy talking animals with the reality of the farm. And she couldn't stand that. She was like, no, 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 pick a lane. You're either fantasy or if you're reality, you you can't merge the two. Like, say, for instance, you had a talking wooden doll character based on an actual wooden doll, and this somewhat fantastical talking wooden doll was sharing real facts about a real person and was, in fact, a real historical item himself? You could say that. As Anne Carol Moore got older, she was set in her ways. But the books that people wanted to make for children were changing. They wanted books that didn't necessarily have a message. Books that were about real kids doing real things. What fiddle-faddle. Ms. Moore and I both hated Goodnight Moon. What is that? Nothing happens. And don't even get me started on Stuart Little. Those books are classics now. A woman gives birth to a mouse? What in the ever-loving world? So what people wanted from books evolved, and eventually, Anne Carol Moore was out of step with the times. 
But that doesn't change the fact that she basically made children's libraries what we know and love today. I compare the the children's room of any library to the milk in a grocery store. The milk is what you want. You have to walk through the whole grocery store to get to the milk, and along the way, you see other things. The children's room is the milk. It's where everyone wants to get to eventually. It's where they're having the best time. So that's what I love about it. That's beautiful. Ms. Moore would be so touched. So wait. You were best pals with Anne Carol Moore, met all sorts of famous authors, talked to children all over the city. How did you end up in the back of the cab? I don't want to talk about it. Well, I guess we'll never... Fine, I'll tell you. Twist my arm, why don't you? One of Ms. Moore's assistants was transporting me to one of my engagements, and she forgot me in the back of the taxi. Yes, I'm sure she forgot you. Ms. Moore was furious, but then she bought a replacement Nicholas doll so as not to upset the children. Yes, uh, not to upset the children. But that's Ms. Moore for you, always thinking of the children. Well, now that we've got you out of the backseat of the cab, where do you want to go? This was such a fascinating history, and we'd love to thank you by making your dreams come true. Well... I do have one dream. I've been thinking about it nonstop, actually. Wait, let me guess. Is it to become a real boy? I bet it's to become a real boy. What? And have to poop? No, thank you. Fair. My dream is to go to story time at the library, see all the happy faces, and hear the giggles. That's my dream. We can make that happen. Let's go. This episode was written by Molly Bloom. We had help from Nico Gonzalez-Whistler, Sandin Totten, Aron Wildeslasi, Anna Goldfield, Shayla Farzan, Rosie Duplant, Ruby Guthrie, and Anna Weggle. Sound design by Rachel Breeze. Theme music by Mark Sanchez. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. We had engineering help from Anna Haverman, Jess Berg, Josh Savageau, and Elliot Lanham. The executives in charge of APM Studios are Chandra Kavadi, Joanne Griffith, and Alex Shafford. Special thanks to Stu Bloom and Owen. And if you want access to ad-free episodes and special bonus content, subscribe to our Smarty Pass. Check it out at smartypass.org. Okay, Loika, ready to hear the answers for first things first? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so as a reminder, we're putting the three famous children books in order, and your vote was The Cat in the Hat, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, and then If You Give a Mouse a Cookie as the most recent, yeah? Yeah. All right. I'm so nervous. (laughs) Well, I have to tell you that, um, unfortunately, you were completely right. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes! Finally! (laughs) Yes, you did it! I wish we had, like, a first things first award we can give you, like a gold gold plaque of some kind. (laughs) So The Cat in the Hat was published in 1957. And before The Cat in the Hat was published, kids used books called primers to learn how to read. And they were B-O-R-I-N-G, boring. So a publishing company asked Dr. Seuss to write a more entertaining primer, and The Cat in the Hat was born. And it was a huge hit, and it still is today. That's a really interesting backstory. Yeah, yeah. And then second, what you were right about again, was The Very Hungry Caterpillar. 
And that was published in 1969. Uh, Eric Carle originally planned to make this book about a hungry bookworm called Willie the Worm. Another classic. This book has been translated in over 60 languages. I actually kind of love the concept of Willie the Worm, the hungry bookworm. <laughs> I, I also, I, I adore the very hungry caterpillar. It was like one of my favorite board books when I was small. And like mm-hmm. it's still, I, I love the art style. Yeah. I also like that like it's it could be shared like around the world. I mean, 60 languages, yeah. that's like access to so many different kinds of people and so many different kinds of kids. I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And last but not least, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, written by Laura Numeroff, was published in 1985, and two years later, I was born. There have since been several more books in the series, including If You Give a Moose a Muffin and If You Give a Pig a Pancake. I think I'll write one called If You Give Joy Dolo a Donut. (laughs) If You you Give Joy a... Diet Coke at 4 p.m. <laughs> we'll be back next week with an episode all about the history of synthesizers, those electronic machines that make amazing music. Thanks for listening. I'm Nicholas. Nick to the bucker.